Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com At MidwayUSA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The first sponsorship on Warden's Watch is Trail Runner Wireless Internet, available in Coas County in Washington County, Maine. High-speed internet for rural areas. And they're the company I work for, other than podcasting. So, and I, I thank you for their support. Uh, this is high-speed internet r- rural areas, making my podcast happen and making businesses happen in remote places, as well as bringing technology to you folks when you live out in the country. Please go to MyTrailRunner.com and like the page on Facebook as well. That would help them a lot and help me to continue Warden's Watch. GuideFitter.com. GuideFitter, bridging you to the outdoors while providing a quality platform for guides and outfitters for you to select from. GuideFitter is the best place to get discounts on gear if you're an outdoor professional. As a game warden, I'm a member of the Outdoor Government Program, which has over 80 quality brands to get discounts from. It's free to join. Yes, free to join. And all you need to do is prove that you're an active outdoor government employee. There are all kinds of products available. Apparel, boots, archery equipment, optics, backpacks, cameras, watches, ammo, anything, you name it. And while you're there, check out the articles, information, and stories that you'll be inspired from. So before you head out to work in the outdoors or start your next outdoor adventure, check out GuideFitter.com and get discounts on your everyday or every so often outdoor equipment. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders for GuideFitter. RodGeeks.com. RodGeeks is a company that designs and builds fishing rods. They are a partner with St. Croix Rods and have been building fishing rods since 2008. They use St. Croix's expertise in all their rod designs so you can trust the rods. The RG42 is a one-piece travel rod. performs like a much longer rod but is compact enough to keep anywhere so you can fish anytime. They offer it as a kit that includes rod, reel, fishing line, case, pliers, and a tackle tray. Put your favorite baits in the tray and you have everything you need to go fishing. It may look unconventional, but this rod really works. Pick up an RG42 kit today and you won't regret it. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories 
of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Welcome to Episode 4. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I am bringing it to you. And for Episode 4, once again, we're changing up the scenario. So we are going out of state. Uh, We're going to Vermont, to the great state of Vermont, and we're talking to a longtime friend of mine, Lieutenant Dave Gregory. And for the first time, we're going to have an episode that I actually got to listen to some stories, and I got to be the listener and enjoy those game warden stories. And that was awesome, because I'm sitting there thinking, I'm enjoying this, so I hope you, the listener, are enjoying it as much as I did doing this interview, talking to Dave, and hearing some of his highlights of his career. Because I found myself on the edge of my seat a couple times, because I guess I love game warden stories. I love hearing those cases. I love catching the bad guys. And yes, there was a couple that we didn't catch. Uh, that's just a fact of life. So, unfortunately. But I hope you sit back and enjoy episode four as much as I did. So, thanks for listening to Warden's Watch. So today I get the opportunity to interview Lieutenant Dave Gregory over here in Vermont in the Northeast Kingdom. Does your patrol cover the whole Northeast Kingdom? The whole, the whole kingdom. Any any more than the Northeast, or just pretty much the Northeast Northeast kingdom? quarter of the state. Yeah, and that's the most remote part of uh, Vermont, right? Sure is. Yeah, you know, you still have you, you've got links up there, don't you? We do uh, so. along the Canadian border and the border with New Hampshire. Yeah, so we have links. We got moose, Martin moose. Yeah, all those northern animals. Everything. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be a pretty awesome place to be a game warden. It is. You can still uh, you can still get lost if you want. There's, yeah. There's places you can go and spend a day and not see anybody. Or and have you done your few. whole career in the Northeast Kingdom? I have. Okay, so you that that's awesome when you spend. How many years in the Northeast? Uh, I spent five years in the southern part uh, of the kingdom and uh, the last 15 up, uh, actually, no, 19 in uh, the northern part of the kingdom. That's pretty awesome. I did simple and similar, you know, spent my whole career in the same area, and it just adds so much because you know everybody, and you know the players. Yep. (laughs) So you know uh, probably who did it and when they did it, and you can put those things together, and as with experience comes, I'm sure that plays in when you're helping your guys out. It sure does. So, and that's kind of the kind of the role I've always felt a lieutenant was is helping those guys out that work underneath you, looking out for them from both directions. Absolutely. But you didn't start that way. You started off uh, as a game warden. So, and, and how'd you get this job in your head? Well, fam- <laughs> family, family, family. Wow. Yep. Um, my uh, my dad was a warden uh, for a while. Uh, he worked uh, for almost 30 years for Fish and Wildlife, and he spent the first two or three as a warden. Uh, my uncle was a 30-year retired warden. Um, he retired the year before I started. Wow. And my grandfather, uh, we had talked earlier where you met me in St. Johnsbury at the old federal fish hatchery, my my grandfather worked there, and then uh, in the 50s, I think the early 50s, he uh, 
took a job with the state with fishing game in Vermont and opened the Bald Hill Fish Hatchery up in Newark. Huh. So you definitely have some fishing game roots all the way around. Yes. Did you grow up hearing their stories? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't. If you're around game wardens, you're going to hear stories. Uh, absolutely. Does, does anything come to your mind that one of those, the stories you like to hear your uncle tell or your father tell? Or I can remember uh, you know, them out chasing uh, walleye fishermen in the spring. Hmm. I can remember a you know, big, big group would uh, show up just before dark you know, in April. And uh, they'd make out their plans and uh, go stake out the spawning waters. They had interesting stories about, you know, grain sacks full of walleyes getting dropped and people running and watching them spear. Uh, these huge fish. Of course, when you're six or eight years old and you see these 10-pound walleyes, they're, they're yeah. like whales, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and they're bringing home the evidence, huh? Yep, or... I can remember one of the first, probably the first moose I ever saw. Um, it was hit by a train, and uh, they brought it to the hatchery and used a block and tackle to pull it up into the big maple out front and skinned it and cleaned it there. And I, I'm not sure it went from there, but just to see that um, as a kid was yeah, uh, no, no, no doubt. So. Uh, so you kind of did you kind of apply your life to be a game warden from that young age? It was always in the back of my head. Uh huh. I remember uh, <laughs> my grandfather was uh, terminally ill. I was twelve. It was deer season. We had a camp, deer camp up in the in the kingdom. Yeah. And uh, my father and my grandfather we they'd had we'd all had lunch and this was in the late. 70s there was a bunch of dough permits um i didn't have one but my grandfather did and he really wanted to see me shoot a deer i think you know where we're going with this yeah so <laughs> <laughs> anyway um they decided they were going to take a nap after lunch while i'm going hunting right uh-huh so i go out behind camp and i ended up seeing i don't know three or four deer I didn't shoot any. I didn't see any horns. I didn't see any bucks. Uh-huh. Get back to camp. And they're both still laying in bed. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was my father or my grandfather asked, you see anything? I said, yeah, I saw four. Well, did you get any shots? I'm like, wow, there was, there was no bucks. Well, my grandfather was like, well, you didn't. You know, I've got a doe tag. I'm like, Yeah. You couldn't have shot one? Probably, but... And he looks at my dad and goes, oh, I think you've done it. I think you've bred another effing game warden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great story. Yeah. You know? And it's so true because people don't get it. You know, everybody in Alaska is like, you know, hey, come up to Alaska and, you know, you want to kill a brown bear? I'm like, yeah, I can't afford to kill a brown bear. He's like, I oh, can use my tag. I'm like... No, no, no! I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, and that's the that's the one violation I, I think I saw. I went out west hunting, and you know, at night I'd come in, and the, it was a whole group of guys. And you know, I, my suspicions were they killed two elk, then one guy killed them both. 
right. you know, with the way they were talking. And I think that's pretty common among hunters, you know, which... Oh, party tags. Yeah, party tags, which some states allow. Province of Ontario. Yeah. You can party hunt. Uh, absolutely. So, but I think uh, I think most do it out of just the way they were grew up. And they'd uh, never shoot a, an extra, yeah. if you will. Yeah. No. But they've got tags, so they want to fill them. Right. And from a management <laughs> point, if they're issuing tags, they they want them killed. Right. You know, they want to bring down that herd. So it's it, you know, and I, if it's not if it's not legal, maybe it should be at some point. Or you know, it always. You know, always in the back of my mind. I mean, if we're using this from a biological standpoint, that we should do it. But right. from our standpoint, as game wardens, it's against the law. So don't do it. If we catch you doing it, you're going to get a ticket. You're going to probably lose your license. So right. um, certainly, that's what I'm instilling in my son. Even though he probably won't be a game warden. <laughs> <laughs> so did you go to college? To I, I didn't. No, um, I went. I went in the service. Yeah, um, I was in. I was in boot camp uh, nine days after I graduated high school. Wow. Um, did four years. Um, and boy, do we like to see those guys come out of the service to become game wardens. Well, it didn't happen right away. I went, I got out, um, had to have a job, worked mm-hmm. construction for a little while, uh, went to work for the state uh, Department of Corrections. Worked in a jail for three years and then did a uh, year and a half, a little better um for a uh, field officer for probation and parole. Mm-hmm. And while I was doing that, I also worked uh, part-time uh, as a special officer for Montpelier PD. So the capital city of Vermont, not that it's huge, but I worked part-time for that police department. So, so you got some ex- police experience. Got some experience there. Prior to. So all, all the time you were thinking, I'm going to switch gears here and... Yeah, yeah, I, I did, but there was it was during a time you know I got out of the military in '89, mm. and the first time that there was even a test for uh, wardens was in '93. So it was yeah. four years before they even offered a test. Yeah, no, um, I came on the same time period. There was a bunch of people wanting the jobs that we had. How, how many? Pe- had, how many people have. tested when you did? Six hundred. Yeah, we had like seven. There was like 1,100 applicants, mm-hmm. and they tested like 700 of them. Yeah, and then it just started whittling down from there. But even as it whittled, you were still in the hundreds. Yeah. Down for, I think I got hired with three guys. So it was three positions open that time. And I, and I went for it twice. So it wasn't the first time. It wasn't a charm for me. It was you know, the second time. <laughs> well, I went once, but I got the, um, no, the letter, thanks, but no thanks. Oh. The Dear John letter, huh? Yeah. They they hired, and I got it the first Monday of deer season. That's like a cruel joke. Uh. (laughs) So the, uh, got a letter saying, you know, you're on, you you weren't hired. Uh, They hired three people in front of me. And, uh, but you're still on the list. Mm -hmm. The list will be active for a couple of years. So I'm like, great. Yeah. Um, where do I go from here? And that was, uh, like I said, that was the middle of November. In January, a uh, couple months later, this is a. I, I bet you this has never happened to anybody else. <laughs> I'll let you weigh in on it. So I'm in training 
in Waterbury, Vermont. Waterbury is where the headquarters was at that time. And I'm in training for probation and parole. Been there all week. Well, my uncle had told me that Fish and Game, the Fish and Wildlife, the Hunter Ed Department had some um, trapping tapes, you know, instructional tapes you could borrow and mm-hmm. watch. I was I was been a trapper, so I went in one afternoon after training and asked um, the woman in Hunter Ed if I could borrow them. Well, which ones would you like? She showed me the list. And I said, I'd like to see these two or three. She goes, I really don't have time to go get them right now. Um, can you come back or can we mail them to you? I said, well, I'm in town all week. Uh, is it all right if I stop tomorrow afternoon? No. No, that'd be great. So the next day, I, I walk in to Hunter Ed and sign out these trapping tapes. I'm walking back out and uh, Lieutenant... Rooks, Bob Rooks was the Northwest Lieutenant at the time. He's walking down the hallway and he looks at me and he goes, where have you been all day? I'm like, cross the common in training. We've been trying to find you all day. (laughs) I'm like, what's going on? Can't tell you. Come with me. Uh, Okay. So he walks, we walk around the corner and we go into the chief game warden's office. And I said to the lieutenant, I said, what, what are we doing? What's going on? He goes, I can't tell you. You need to talk to the chief. Okay, where is he? Well, he's at home now. So he uses the chief's phone in his office, calls the chief at his home. So the chief's at home. I was standing in his office when he offered me the job. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you're right. No, I don't think that's probably happened that, to anybody else. That, no, I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> so he said, uh, take your time. I told him, uh, you know, I need to talk to my wife. It's kind of a formality. I'm not I'm going to take the yeah. job, right? And he says, that's okay. Take your time. I say that quite often, yeah. too. Let me know. Don't in really the, mean he it. He says, let me know in the She's morning. She's going to listen to this, too. <laughs> let me know in the morning. Uh so I sure did. Called him up and said, wow. absolutely. Wow. And, uh, that's, that, that's an incredible story. Yeah. Standing in his office as he offers you the job. That, yeah. that, that, that's and he something. was at home. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty cool, Dave. I must admit. I, <laughs> I don't think anybody will ever have so a story I said, I don't quite think, like that. I don't think that's happened to anybody else. Yeah. But, you know, if, if somebody wants to be a game warden nowadays, they have a lot of opportunities because there's a lot less people trying to get this job. We struggle to find qualified applicants. Yeah. So if they keep their nose clean, that's the big one I'm finding. Yep. Um, and, you know, kind of curtail their life, you know, to the outdoors, you know. Um, <laughs> Maybe stay off social media. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, that's a hard one, though. <laughs> With I know. this culture and this generation. Uh, but, yeah, no, definitely. Or be very careful of what you put on social media and how you interact. So, right. um, for sure. It's, it's definitely a... It's been a, a change. You know, we've gone from, you know, 1,000 applicants 25, 30 years ago um, to maybe a couple hundred. Yep. And have 100 maybe show up and take the test. Yeah, it's tough. And then, you know, whittle it down to 35 that we usually interview, I think. Yep. And New Hampshire's in the exact same boat. 
As a matter of fact, I think we trade candidates every now and then. We, so. we do. We... And we fight over them sometimes, <laughs> too. <laughs> and, and along with our, our brothers in Maine, too. <laughs> yep. That's a fact. Yeah, no doubt, because we all have similar processes. And, you know, it's certainly we, we trade back and forth, it seems. So um, those three northeast states. So, but yeah, so uh, you get hired. Uh, you remember one of your first big cases? Um, yeah, I remember getting in, um, assigned to my district. Um, and that was where? Rygate. Rygate. So, so the lower end of the Northeast Kingdom in Vermont. Correct. Yeah. Right along, you know, the New Hampshire, sharing the border with New Hampshire. The, the Connecticut River, yeah. And uh, worked across from Sergeant Jewett. Yep. <laughs> Who I trained with. That's where you and I met. That's how we met. 25 years ago. Yeah. Anyway... Um, had a, it was just before Christmas, mid-December, after all, all the deer seasons are closed, mm-hmm. got a complaint of a deer dumped off the side of the road. Um, go down and it's a, it's a big deer. It's hind quarters, it's front quarters, and the head and neck have been cut off. But it, you know, it was never dressed, and it wasn't done very well. It was just kind of thrown up on the snowbank, and there was there was dirt on it, frozen to it. Mm-hmm. And I asked around a little bit, and I mean, it's a it was a big bodied deer. Mm-hmm. So didn't find anything else to go on. There wasn't even a a, a bullet hole in it, and. I did, I had a suspicion that they might try and get it mounted. It was a big deer. Because they either took the head and neck off because it was shot in the neck and there was still a bullet in it. Or they wanted to get it mounted. Well, on the off chance they wanted to get it mounted, um, they had cut it off way too high. They hadn't taken enough of the... The shoulder. The shoulder and the chest Mm -hmm. to make a decent head mount. Yeah. So I contacted as many taxidermists as I could find. The Yellow Pages. This is long before <laughs> the computer. Absolutely. And I either visited or called everyone I could find um, in Vermont and New Hampshire and told them that if they got a call or antlers came in, that they were, somebody was looking to get it mounted, mm-hmm. but they needed to buy a cape. I was interested knowing hmm. who that was. Well, about it must have been just after muzzleloader season uh, because it was just after Christmas. I got a call um, from a local taxidermist who said that a woman had called, wanted to get this deer mounted for her husband, but needed to buy a cape hmm. because for whatever reason. And they happened to live in the same town that I picked up this deer. Ah. Uh-huh. So, talked to the state police detective who knew everybody in the area. I've only lived there for four months. Right. Well, longer than that. Five months. Uh, six months. And he had actually arrested the guy before on some drug stuff years earlier. Knew where he lived. Took me by his house. I ended up calling another warden, and we went down together, and uh, 
there was nothing left to do to but just knock on the door right and following a hunch basically yeah so went up knocked on the door and uh woman comes to the door and i said i i'm here about the deer is it still here and she goes nope i made him get rid of it but it was here yep where in the garage mind if we take a look so she brings us to the garage there's a cardboard box outside with blood and deer hair in it mm-hmm. and then she goes to open the door and she goes you know what i think you need to talk to my husband i'm not gonna let you in you need to wait talk to him mm-hmm. so we did actually we went looking for him and didn't find him where she said he was going to be we go back to the house he's home meets us in the driveway and i said I'm, I'm here about the deer and he goes it's a long story but the short story is i'm guilty that's the first words out of his mouth wow <laughs> and i said well you know what we have time to hear the long story <laughs> absolutely so he confesses to shooting it well he didn't he confesses to finding it dead and frozen on his log job uh-huh. and dragged it out and kept it. Tried to find a state that was still open so he could buy a tag and legitimize it and couldn't and uh, said that his wife made him dump it. Well, um, he took us in the garage and there's some really neat stuff in the garage. It was... I, I've. Still got the pictures in my desk, but um, you could see where the they'd hung it from the rafters in the garage, and the um, blood had run down an old washing machine, and there was a bloody handprint on a Mountain Dew can. Oh wow! And it was a dirt floor in this basement, or excuse me, in this garage. So what had happened when he had laid that carcass down? It had warmed the frozen dirt and then refroze. So when he picked it up, it pulled up hair, hair and dirt and everything. And an imprint of the body right there. Yeah. And uh, so I'm <laughs> you like, you can't get better evidence. I'm like, I won't say his name, but uh, I'm like, hey, this deer did not come in here frozen. It came in here smoking hot. <laughs> and he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and. Doesn't change the case. No. And he pled guilty <laughs> later. So. Yeah. But I never did get the antlers. Um, I actually ended up down in New Hampshire a couple times. Um, cause fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Rumor was they were down there. So he wouldn't give up where they went? No, no. You know, I've had a few cases like that. You know, you get the guy, but I didn't get the deer. I know. Because I had all the evidence. I had the blood, I had the hair, but... There was no way they were giving up where the deer went because that just brings somebody else into the mix that, yeah. in this case, it was a son, you know. And I had, um, there was a local in that area, and he was a, a well-noted deer hunter. Family name, big 
reputation as a deer hunter. And he had told me, the, the shooter of the deer told me that he had shown it to this gentleman. And uh, so he's one of the few people that I could go verify that this guy had the deer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, you know, besides all the physical evidence, but he, uh, I saw him on the road one day stuffing, he was a contract mailman, mm-hmm. he was stuffing mailboxes. And I'm still, like That's I said, a good contact to have for anything. <laughs> I still got six months on, on my own in yeah. the field. I mean, so I turn around and I go, we're in a real bad spot. It's in January. There's snow banks that are five feet tall already. And, yeah. Um, I turned the blue lights on with the truck just because it wasn't safe um, where we were. And I, I walked up to his window and he put it down. And he, the first words that man ever said to me was, before I say anything, am I under arrest? <laughs> we both know 25 years yeah, yeah, later that's exactly right yeah, okay yeah. but with you know six months on i'm like no why would you you know no i'm just i want to know if you saw so-and-so's deer uh, oh yeah he brought it to my house and i saw it i don't have any pictures but yeah he definitely had it and mm-hmm. he gave me a statement to that but I, it left me going what did he do yeah <laughs> afterwards there was and I think every young game warden looks back on those oh, types of things because I they? certainly had them that, <laughs> you know, and, and you learn, you know, right? And that's why, you know, it's so cool to work with new guys. And, you know, t- towards the end of my career, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of frustrated. I cut through all the niceties and now, and I'm like, okay, I know you did it. Just tell me, let's get to the chase. Okay. If you make me prove this, it's going to go really hard. Right. But I already know what happened, you know, but that's, that's the guy that's got 20 years on. Right. He just doesn't need patience anymore. It was that same deer season. There was a gentleman from New Hampshire that shot an illegal deer. And nobody saw him do it, but there was somebody hunting in that area that had seen his truck and, for whatever reason, took down the plate. I don't, I don't know why. Hmm. But they found the illegal deer, and they called me and said, look, we don't know if this is connected or not, but this plate, you know, this guy was hunting here. It happened to be from Piermont. Hmm. So I called Sergeant Jewett and uh, met him, and we went over. So again, I, five months on, I got my three questions. Were you there? Nope. Um, did, <laughs> did you shoot anything? Nope. Did you shoot the deer? Nope. Well, I'm ready to leave, right? Yeah. Well, obviously, the guy didn't do it. And you'd have to know Sergeant Jewett, but he has that deep New England drawl. Yeah. He's like, oh, just hang on a minute. <laughs> So he starts talking, and I'm ready to confess that I did. <laughs> but before we left, the guy, had, the guy had given it up, and I'd learned a lot. Yeah, he certainly had that way about him, and uh, <laughs> just kind of easy, easy into things. Yep. So, yep. yeah, no, um, yeah, one of my favorite uh, Sergeant Jewett stories because I trained with him. So, and th- those interviews were priceless. But uh, uh, he sent me on a beaver set one day. You know, and I had to watch that beaver set all day and take down all the plates that came by and everything. And, you know, I, I think he had something to do, and I think that was his beaver set. <laughs> so that's my suspicions. You know, 20 years later, the trainee, I was all about it. You know, I wrote down every plate that went by. I was excited, and, you know, and maybe it was a set for over 24 hours that they weren't checking, and, you know, but uh, I'm pretty sure it was his beaver set. He had something to do that day. <laughs> 
just thought I'd, the training needed to do. And, and I need to be alone today. Yeah, exactly. So drop me off for the full day watching the beaver set. It was snow on the ground. You know, I was curled up and just, you know, just sitting there waiting and, you know, all excited. And every truck that went by, I'd write down the plate number. And, you know, and there was like three trucks that went by all, all day. day. <laughs> That's my Sergeant Jewett story. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, that kind of, uh, it, you know, the, the, the ones that get away, I, I hate to say that because um, those are the stories that burn in me. Cause I, and, and I think we have more of those than we have the ones that we caught, unfortunately. But... We were talking earlier, and I, I don't know if you can share that story or if you even want to do. <laughs> so. Yeah, we were talking about this on the way over. Um, somebody we both know, mm-hmm. um, New Hampshire fellow, but frequented Vermont. Yeah, we used to play ping pong. We'd pinch him and go to your side. You'd pinch yeah. him and go to our side. So the ping pong. <laughs> and I invest. I helped investigate it one year when I was when I was a trainee, and we just didn't have enough. Um, the deer that was shot. So it's probably four years later, five years later, knew he was going to be in the area staying um, for the opener of our archery season. And uh, I had I put it together to have two deer decoys out on parallel roads. I knew he ran both of them. Mm-hmm. Had great setups on both. But didn't know... You know, which ones are you going to be on? Mm. So we meet at 2 o'clock in the morning, and somebody bailed out, couldn't make it. So I had way more people than I needed to run one decoy. But I'm a little short to run two. Now we got to run them both. Yep. <laughs> so we did, and he uh, didn't go to the decoy that I was sitting on. He went to the the best one and uh, shot it right out the window uh, with a crossbow and s- center punched the decoy. Perfect shot. If you're going to draw X on the deer where you'd want an archer to shoot it, that's where he hit it. Nice. And then he... Not put, nice, but yeah, nice. <laughs> pedal to the metal and he's gone. Ugh. And... Just where the chase vehicle was parked and how it was parked, when he hit the gas, he spun. And there was a little delay in letting him know because he's, you know, 100 yards away, 75 yards away. He didn't hear it. It's not like it was a gunshot. So there had to be a radio call. Mm -hmm. Then he had that old Chevy pickup. He had to hit the, pull it into four-wheel drive, and it took a minute. Not a minute, but it felt like it, I'm sure. I'm sure. And by the time he got out and on his, on the his tail it, the guy was long gone i don't think he ever even saw the tail lights and a mile down the road there was three different directions he could go and we didn't get him yeah no that those, those things for sure yeah, that, yes yeah and listening to those stories i always had chase vehicles i made sure we had chase vehicles because i had other officers relay the, the incident where they didn't have a chase vehicle and they lost the guy that, that shot the deer. So, and that, that always stuck in my memory. So I always had a chase vehicle. The guys always thought I wanted to stay warm because I usually ended up being the chase vehicle. But the, the one day we needed it and they were all standing there waiting for me. And I had a similar problem. I was in mud 
and I was stuck and I put it in four wheel drive. I finally got out of there. I came onto the, the highway and there's mud chunks flying. I'm in four wheel drive and trying to turn. I can't even go. And uh, yeah, but they understood where there was a chase vehicle. I caught my guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a race. <laughs> Northeast Kingdom has a ton of moose or used to have a ton of moose. We huh? used to. Yeah, we're having the same problems with the tick infestation as you guys are as well, huh? So that's that's tough. We we saw the heyday though, I think, Dave. Yes, the good and the bad. The good and the bad. I mean, the it was the year I was a trainee was Vermont's second moose season. Wow! And uh, I was working in with Paul Fink. Yeah, he was my FTO then, and he was awarding right across from me. Yeah, and we. Uh, we saw three monster bulls within the first couple hours just out looking, you know, wow. for hunters. And there was there was a lot of moose. And, you know, we went from, you know, the first year, 93, there was 30 permits. Then the next year, there was 40. And then it kept slowly going up. The early 2000s, uh, we had 1,200 permits, I think. It was a lot. Yeah. And uh, we had some logging roads that needed, you know, traffic lights. Uh, yeah, for no, moose season. <laughs> totally understand what you mean. But and the road kills. I think one year, the early two thousands, I handled like forty road kills. Um, I'm yeah. not sure we have that many in the road kills in the state a year now. No, you probably don't. But uh, and pe- people didn't mind shooting them either. No, that was that was the highlight of a poacher, I think, to get a moose. So, because uh, if you didn't get the lottery, you tried it some other way. Well, and then even the ones in the lottery were <laughs> we're going yes. to get a moose. <laughs> yes, 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 we're going to get a moose, <laughs> one way or the other. Uh, any cases stand out to you? Well, it's one that turned into like nine, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it totally makes sense to me. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if it makes sense to listen, listeners, but you start with one case and it just starts rolling. Yeah. You know? So I was, I actually, it was, it was about an hour hike up into the middle of nowhere. Um, a group of hunters had found uh, a cow moose that had been shot and dressed and left. Hmm. And, um, but there was another gut pile there. They had shot the calf as well, and two or three guys dragged that moose off the mountain. Hmm. So I helped the the warden who initially got the call, and we followed the drag mark and got it down to the logging road. Picked up a little evidence here and there, you know, the typical stuff: a water bottle, a beer can, a Cigarette butt, mm-hmm. um, something else they might have lost. Took right. some photos of footprints when you got a good opportunity. Then they dragged it down to uh, uh, the bank on this above this logging road. They backed up to it, loaded up, and left. And I had a trainee that day, and but it wasn't my case. So we kind of, I kind of forgot about it after that. Well, about a week later, 10 days later, uh, the lieutenant asked me what I thought and if I'd like to run with it. 
I didn't want to tick anybody off, but yeah, step on any toes. Yeah. Well, he said he would take care of it, and he goes, "Just do it." So I went back up in there with a metal detector. Ended up finding three casings, four casings. About all we got at the scene. But what I did have was it was the moose season. I've got the list of the of the permit holders. Right. I'm, and I'm assuming it was a permit holder that, you know, had a double kill, which wasn't unusual. Um, didn't happen a lot, lot, but every year there'd be a handful. I'm mm-hmm. sure you had them too. And they just skidded this the one they could handle by hand out. Well, I the first thing I did was went through the whole list and went through um, the successful permit holders that reported a moose before the date that I knew this moose was shot. Right. It wasn't them. Yep. Cross them off the list. Okay. Starting to thin out from 1,200. Well... Actually, whatever we you do had it that by year. zones. Oh, yeah. So I true. think there was 150. Yeah. So we're starting to groups out there. Yeah. You think you cut it by half? Cut it by about half. Good. And then went through some others. Um, ended up cutting it to about a third. So about 50 that I was curious about. Mm-hmm. Compiled information on all 50. And this, we're talking now a couple months later. It was actually Christmas Eve. <laughs> Don't tell me you went knocking on doors Christmas Eve. I didn't. Okay. But that's I good. did. Because <laughs> that's I, something I would have done. I did fire up the phones, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I start calling people off this list. Uh huh. And I had this story that I had come up with. Yeah, that uh, you know, told them who I was, and I'm calling uh, just to make sure we're compiling our end of season results and uh, making sure that we had all the reports. But we were also interested in the unsuccessful permit holders and wanted to reach out. Blah blah blah. The problem with that was that you had to listen to every. <laughs> Every story. Every story. Yes. Right? And you can't just go, yeah, you're not who I'm looking for. Goodbye. <laughs> so you're, you're listening to every story, and you're saying thank you. And, uh, and, I, and they love telling their story because it's pretty important. And they do. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of time. <sighs> so I get this one. Is so-and-so home? No. He's, actually, he's out Christmas shopping. Okay. Um, I'm just calling about, maybe you can help me. Um, wondered if they got a moose or not. They sure did. Like, they did? I, I'm not showing a report for these folks. So what do you get? I uh, got a, you know, a small bull. Year, you know, year and a half, two and a half year old bull. Really? Okay. Um, I'll call back later, you know after the holiday and uh, get more information from your husband. I move on. I'm thinking it's a reporting error. Right. You know, it's whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Well, this guy gets home from Christmas shopping, and his wife tells him that the game warden called about their moose, and he just, they never reported it. (laughs) The reason being was they shot it. And they shot the other one, too. No. It's not even a different one? It's a different one. You're right, the the moose case that turned into nine? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So (laughs) they, what the problem was is they were staying at a motel in your patrol in Lancaster. Uh Not Lancaster, but uh, north of there. Okay. And, uh, well, you're not supposed to leave the state until you report it. Right. Right? Well, the reporting stations were closed by that time. They went back to the motel. They've already, you know in their mind, committed the crime of the century. Yeah. So they said, just the heck with it. We're just driving home. <laughs> so they never reported it. Wow. The woman couldn't remember my name. You ruined his Christmas. I did. <laughs> totally ruined his Christmas. <laughs> so he doesn't know who called his house. He can't sleep. As it turns out, the commissioner of Fish and Wildlife at the time lived just down the road from him. Uh-huh. He calls him. Look, game warden, this is what I did. They're calling the house. I can't sleep. I need to talk to him. <laughs> so they finally track me down. Like, are you calling people the, on Christmas Eve about <laughs> moose hunting? Um, yeah. Well, you need to talk to this guy. So I call him up, and he confesses to... Shooting this moose, taking it to New Hampshire, never reporting it, taking it home, butchering it, and never telling anybody. Wow. So we take it. Mm-hmm. Charge him, mm-hmm. his guide, his co-permittee, all three of them. Yep. And I move back to my list. There's another one. This one was reported that went to Pennsylvania. Couple Pennsylvania guys, small moose. I wonder if it was them. Mm-hmm. Pile all the information. Call Pennsylvania. Work with a warden in Pennsylvania. They end up writing a search warrant. They go to their house on New Year's Day. We're just ruining. <laughs> it's a little better. <laughs> yeah, we're just ruining the holidays for everybody. They go to the people's house in Pennsylvania. Yes, it's an illegal moose, but it's not the one I'm looking for, and they didn't shoot it. It was the caretaker up at Quimby Country in the kingdom, which is like a group of camps. Mm -hmm. Knew they'd been struggling. He went to his camp in Vermont, and there was a small bull under the apple tree, so he shot it, left it there. When they went back to camp unsuccessful on the last day, he says, you guys really, you want a moose? Yeah, well, I shot you one. It's up. So they went and they tagged it and took it back to Pennsylvania. Wow. Did, did that conversation roll pretty freely when the warden knocked on the door, do you know? Yes, it did. <laughs> so I end up ticketing both the Pennsylvania hunters. Wow. Still not the right moose. Well, oh. Is there really nine moose in this story? It gets almost. Wow. There's nine guys. There's nine guys. Yeah, I think wow. it comes out to three or four different moves. But so, um, Cheney and um, Tim Egan meet Trevor Simonowski and I 
Uh-huh. Because the guy lived in, uh, across from Bloomfield, Stratford. Yep. But his camp was in Vermont. Okay. Four of us go to the house. He's over at camp. The four of us are now in Vermont walking the snowmobile trail looking for the camp. We couldn't, we didn't find it. He finds us because his wife gets a hold of him, tell him we're looking for him. And he confesses to shooting this moose out of season. Um, so cite him. Still don't have the right moose. So jump in. I have like five more places that I want to, uh, people I want to talk to. And you're on a roll too. Why, I know. why would you want to stop at this point? I know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why you want to stop in a minute. Okay. So go to a place. And again, you got to no, we didn't get one, but you got to hear and listen to the whole story. You know, it's a two cup of coffee story and got to take your coat off because it's getting hot in the kitchen. <laughs> and another ward and I, we go to this house, old fella. And uh, you guys got a moose. Yep. I said, well, I have my gazetteer. I'm like, can you show me roughly where you got it? No, I can't. Why not? Well, I'm not familiar with that area. I just had the permit. My grandson was the one familiar with the area. Huh. All right. Where's your grandson live? And he gives us the address. We go and... No, he doesn't give us the address. He, we have to go out to a phone and call the state police barracks. They look him up. They give me the address. We go to the kid's house, and I can look from his driveway up at his grandfather's. I'm like, Grandpa couldn't just point down over the hill? So they kind of ticked me off. Mm-hmm. So we go back and knock on Grandpa's door again. And he comes out, and his wife is standing behind him. We're in the basement. And I said, I finally just cut to the chase. And I'm like, look, you can't point to this map and show me where you shot that moose because you weren't even there, were you? And he goes, nope, I wasn't. My grandson shot it, then called me and I went up. Mm-hmm. When he says that, he drops over backwards unconscious. Huh? Drops. The warden and I run up to him. His eyes are rolled back and his wife says, just get a nitro out of his pocket. I'm like, calmly says that. Yeah. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? Well, he's already taken two and he can only take three. So you can give him one more. I'm like, no, you do it. So she gives him, he comes to, we put him on the couch in the basement and he starts. This, oh, it, she goes, it happens. I'm like, Not while I'm around, it doesn't. <laughs> I thought we killed I think that's the reason it did happen, Dave. Because <laughs> you we were around. Killed the guy. <laughs> and uh, he, calmly finally told us about his grandson and some other guy shooting it and um he went up and met him and then they went and reported it but this isn't the moose you're looking for that's not the right one either well after nearly killing the guy during the investigation ending doesn't it no i never found it no I, i got a call basically saying just that's enough after you almost killed the guy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it did. It came out to like, well, there was four 
four illegal moose that I knew of or something illegal about them. Yeah. And I think I wrote uh, nine cases out of it. Wow. Yeah. That, that, that's and it's strung, you know, it strung on for like four months. Yeah. And just go from one to the other. Yeah. A little more information. A little more. Just keep going. On to the next one. On to the next one. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that, that was quite a run. That's probably the best run I've heard for moose. It was fun. Yeah. No I, I, I like the, I've always liked the investigative part. I, I have as well. I just, and, and, and like you said, as you get better at it too, when you see that crack, you start working the crack and just spread it open and finally, you know, throw, throw up their arms and give it up or right. you got enough evidence that, you know, you're going to put this together regardless. And, uh, yeah, I know that's, that's one of the better parts of, of the job. But I must say that seeing that muzzle flash at night. Oh, I, I saw that last deer season. Yeah. I, I just, there was a truck parked out in a field. I was driving by uh, just before dark. I had to, I had to watch because there was deer in a field. Mm-hmm. So I backed into a driveway. Of course, I drive an unmarked truck. Yeah. So I, I back in. It comes to the close of the season, you know, the end of the day. Yep, it's dark. You know, the guy's still sitting up there, and it's probably, it wasn't super long after, but about, but bang, he shoots. So I, we got a lot of snow last year's season. Uh-huh. So I drive down the road, I find where he drove into the field. Of course, I don't have my lights on. I go driving up. And I'm trying to watch the truck to see if, you know, if someone gets out or not. Mm-hmm. I, I think the shot came from the truck. So I ended up getting off his track, and I'm pushing snow with the grill. And oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost to him, probably 20 yards short, and I'm going uphill, and I, I finally get mired. I can't go anymore. So... But I can see the truck now, and I can still see the rifle sticking out the window. And how far are you away? 20 yards. Wow. So I grab my flashlight, jump out of the truck as I'm trotting up. I'd tell you I was running, but you wouldn't believe me. No. As I'm trotting up. Because there's a foot of snow at least. At least. I yell, did you get him? And the guy yells back, yeah, he went down, but he's back up again. And as I reach the bed of the pickup i'm like right with the back tire he shot again wow and that ought six in the dark is just as loud as it used to be yeah (laughs) and the flame that comes out that end yeah yeah you just don't realize until you see it in that situation yeah it'd been a while but it was still it was still a lot of fun yeah yeah i know that i think every warden talks about his first muzzle flash you know because it's memorable and it's that adrenaline dump, you know, it's, there's nothing like it. It's, no. <laughs> to yep. be there in person. 10 feet away. You know, uh, Mark Ober always said we got his first night in hunting case with him his first year, and it was an investigation. He's, I'm like, oh, you got your first night hunting case. Yeah, but it's not the same. I'm like, what? I didn't see the muzzle flash. I'm like, man, he's just, you know, he's, he's needy, you know. You don't have to. Yeah, I mean you do, but the next season he saw it, did he? Yeah, yeah. So I had a, <laughs> I had a twenty-two Magnum one time, and I heard it go off. We were watching him, but didn't see. You it. You didn't see it? No. 
How about the crossbows? Those always get under my skin because they're the poacher's tool. Yeah. So And they're becoming more and more acceptable. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I always find, you know, I feel bad because my father growing up, you know, I taught hunter safety. I teach bow hunter and I'm a big bow hunter. And, you know, he, he always heard me talk bad about crossbows. And well, he's getting into his 70s, he can't pull his bow back, but he's not getting a crossbow. And I'm like, Dad, you got to get a crossbow. No, no, I don't want a crossbow. I went and bought him a crossbow because he needed a crossbow. He couldn't pull his bow back anymore, but he wasn't going to buy it because my negative right. aspects with crossbows. So, And well, I don't know about you, but I can remember approaching a few people that were hunting out of their tree stand or on the ground just illegally with, with a crossbow. They shouldn't have been, but that's what they had. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, I was much more on edge with that darn crossbow than I ever was with somebody with a rifle. Oh, they are a dangerous weapon. I, and I, it just, I don't know if it's the medieval side of it or what. Yeah, and that people get comfortable with them. And one of the worst hunted relating incidents I ever saw was with a crossbow on a young kid. And it was out of Maryland and I was at a training and they were showing it. But, you know, it's always stuck in my mind too that, you know, you know, just. It gives me the EBGBs. So, and uh, you're right. I, just something about them. I'm not a not a big fan of. I'll probably end up using one myself eventually. Well, I'll, I have to admit, I, when I turned fifty, yeah, I did. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's yeah. it's it's part of aging. It's a part of the process. People get hurt. You know, I get it, and they're an effective weapon. But it's the poacher's tool. It has been in Vermont now. If um, anybody fifty or over can use a crossbow mm-hmm. in. in uh, the regular archery season and there's actually it's introduced this year um it would go into effect for i believe 2020 yeah um to legalize it for everybody yeah and that's the trend so well, part of it is you know they're trying to combat the you know decrease in hunting activity yeah and they're in, trying in participation. to regulate populations yep so and uh but for all those hunters out there that's that's why i have never been a fan of the crossbow it's a silent deadly killer the guy i got night hunting with a rifle converted to a crossbow you know so and that's because the shot got reported yeah so the shot doesn't get reported with a crossbow and it's just as effective you know at short ranges so yeah so that's that's my spiel on crossbows and you know it's hard to get that out of your game warden you know feelings so i understand good hunters use good tools as well but uh right. it's certainly uh it seems to be the poachers go to so uh, i don't disagree yeah yeah so and i'll probably have more conversations across the country with other wardens regarding crossbows too so i mean you got a crossbow night hunting case story that we just talked about right so you know that's case on point and that so. was and that was over 20 years ago. That The crossbows then were not oh. what they are now. Yeah. No, they were just starting. Yeah, today's crossbows are well beyond that. Yep. So they're high-tech, just as the bows are high-tech compared to what they were 20 years ago. Right. So, but hey, anything else in closing you can think of? Uh, not much. I mean, it's you just... You thrown off a boat, gone down the Connecticut River or anything like that? Oh, don't tell me you have. No. Okay. No, 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 no. I was, <laughs> that look, I was like, oh, that would, maybe I got something. No, I was thinking of the night that I was out on the Connecticut River when none of us should be, should have been.
This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. And you, I can't remember who was with you, but you were up the, uh, the Israel Israel looking for that drowning victim. Yeah, we had a drowning week. You guys helped us out a ton. And, I mean, you couldn't even tell where the river was, because it, mm. it was out in the cornfields, and the, it was night, and the water was high. Yeah, the only reason that I even agreed to put my boat in and grab somebody and go up there is because you guys were up there alone. Yeah, yeah, that was that was quite a night. We had a drowning in the Israel River, and we were looking for the victim. And uh, you know, that's that's the cool thing, especially northern New Hampshire, and you know, we we border Maine and Vermont, and we work really close together with the wardens on each side. So when we don't have the resources, uh, a lot of times the other wardens do, and uh, they don't mind chipping in. And we've worked a couple drownings on the yeah. Connecticut River together. Yeah, we had that one two years ago. Um, mm, in the kid Gilman. there. Yeah. yeah, so that was that was tragic. So, uh, And that worked out really good. Um, you know, it was, most of it was run out of Vermont. Yeah. So Because the we Connecticut had- River, most of it is in New Hampshire uh, to the low water mark, correct? Yep. So... But we, we share responsibilities and we share the command post was over there because of accessibility. And uh, the victim was from Vermont. The victim was from Vermont. So it's, it's, a, it's a big chipping in. And all the, all the boat launching points were in Vermont. In Vermont. Absolutely. So, yeah. so um, it's, it's been, always been a good team effort. I've seen that. And that, that drowning on the Israel River was no exception because you're right. It wasn't, you're going to follow the river channel up. You kind of guessed it was like being in the bayou. It was. So, and you're going up at night, fishing up through there. You know, you still have a prop. It's not like you had an airboat or anything. And you're trying to find the major channel of the river. And yeah, thanks, because we were up there. We, we made it, you know. And like you said, I, I still look back on that and say, how did we make it? Because uh, you lose that river channel, all of a sudden you'd end up in the field. And you'd like back to find the river channel. I remember um, when we finally got up to the bridge where the victim had gone in. Just before we got there, the fire department had set up their lights and stuff. Do you remember mm, that? Yes. And I remember probably saying something on the radio that I, I shouldn't have because it was blinding. It was. And I'm like, you need to shut those off. We're, we can't see. Can't operate. Yeah. Don't see what's coming at us. So. And it was dangerous. Yeah. And it was spring and we didn't have any ice jams coming down through. April. But there was a lot of deadheads and stuff that you know weren't normally there either and certainly could be coming down the river. So and you get turned sideways in that current, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah. not like we were in 20-foot boats. No, 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 no. We were in small boats yep. doing that job. And 
you know, a, a lot of the cases we do, you know, we put, put our lives on the lines, you know, doing that type of stuff. So, um, and we actually located that with an underwater camera. Jim Nealon found him the couple next days. Day. Was it, it was a couple days? I think it was. It was a couple days. So, and I remember it would have been on a couple more, but it was the last spot and me and Jim were working together and he's like, what do you think? I said, let's do the last hole. Let's just try that and put that underwater camera. And, you know, I, Jim, Jim did a great job with that. I couldn't, I'd watch that little screen for a while i'd go sideways i it was it's a difficult thing to run so and and they've gotten much better since the original one we used but uh yeah so that was uh because we had divers in all the the prominent areas where he should have been so and we were kind of taking the the spots that he shouldn't have been but but yeah the operating in those conditions were were definitely crazy so yeah thanks for bringing that memory back Thanks for dragging me out there. Yeah. yeah. Any advice to you know guys thinking about being a game warden coming on? I guess a couple things, and uh, I've told we've got a young deputy right now. Okay. Uh, he's just twenty, um, still in college. Just that's all he can think about. And I remember uh, what that was like. Yeah. <laughs> and I told him he's he's a Vermonter. He grew up in Vermont. He's um, he wants to stay here, mm-hmm. and um, I told him don't don't discount New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Don't discount Maine. Mm-hmm. Don't discount other states that are still doing game warden work. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of states that aren't anymore. And right, you, that's it's watered down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a lot of Western states, um, Midwest, where hunting is still huge. Mm, absolutely. And, uh, and, uh, you know, the Northern New England, you know, don't, don't think that it's just Vermont as an option. Um, and the other thing is, you know, the dep- our deputy program. When I started as a warden, we had 50, between 50 and 60 deputies. And I think we're down to six. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's predominantly a volunteer program. Um but that that's it's an experience you can't buy. Right. And, and to put that on paper makes people take notice. Well plus that and if it say he does just want to work in Vermont, well the we know his name. We know his work ethic. We know um what he's capable of. Mm-hmm. And uh just that's a, a great opportunity yeah absolutely and he gets to work with you guys and experience that type of stuff and get the same type of training you do right so he's he's prepping himself to take that position so yep. no i, w- I would and agree I tell, and like you know like i've already commented on just you guys are always looking well not mm-hmm. you you're retired now but new hampshire's always looking yep you know i know um we were just talking to the the guy a couple guys from maine the other day they're in the same boat mm-hmm um, we're competing for a small and they're, source. They're twenty or thirty positions down. I think he said. Uh, and that's what I hope with this podcast I can expose and help. You know, because you know, is it because we're not recruiting or they're getting funding chopped? Because some of ours is getting funding chopped for, you know, and we're the police in the woods. You know, we're we've been doing pretty well the last few years. Good. Well, as money-wise. Yes. But I do know coming into this next budget year, um, they've told us to be ready to really tighten our belts. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do my part to help with that. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm going to join you with the yeah. R behind my name here in July. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'll try and save him some money that way. Uh, well, certainly you've had a great career, and uh, you know I don't think we shared that the first time we met. You know, you want know you want to talk about that? Another, yeah. You were um, training with Sergeant Jewett. Yeah, I was fresh, and I was months in the field you know single digit months in the field and uh responded to uh a complaint of of an enclosure guy had a big fenced in area where he had fallow deer and wild boar and mouflon sheep everything and it bordered the interstate and it was in deer season and he had somebody um shoot a couple critters i'm not sure exactly what they were but anyway um somehow the law was written that these uh, they're domestic animals right but when they were shot inside an enclosure for the purposes of hunting um it'd be a wildlife crime Hmm. so we were supposed to investigate them and um I was helping Warden Eastman, the warden to the south of me, uh, with a search warrant on a really bad guy. And we ended up getting a couple deer and a couple turkeys. And it was a great case. But uh, so I couldn't get up there as quick. I was busy. Mm-hmm. Well, the guy called, wanted an immediate response, didn't get it, sat at his camp all day drinking. And just got angrier and angrier and angrier that nobody came. Mm-hmm. Um, when I finally did get there, he met me at the door with a side-by-side rifle. And um, it sure looked like it was pointed at me. Mm. And he told me to get inside. And I said, no, you need to put that away. Um in court later, he said that you know he wasn't sure who who was there. Anyway, I, he did put it away. I ended up inside the camp. The guy was pacing back and forth, just an angry drunk. And uh, finally just acted out, charged me, and pushed me into the wall. Um, I ended up tripping against a wood pile. So my heels were against firewood, and I was pushed back against the wall, and kind of off balance. And while I was off balance, he grabbed for my sidearm. He just grabbed it and tried to. I I describe it as he was. It felt like he was lifting me off the ground by my gun belt. Mm-hmm. And uh, I secured it. He didn't. It didn't. It never came out of the holster. His wife and son actually tackled him, not me. I got him off me and off, you know, his hands off my gun. And uh, he, I remember his son. I remember looking straight into his son's eyes. This is twenty-five years ago, and I can still remember the look in his eye and him saying, "Just leave." just leave it's a pretty good idea yeah. <laughs> it 
So I backed out all the way to the truck, um, jumped in. It was an old Chevy pickup. I don't remember turning around because I had driven straight in. I had to completely turn around to go back out the way I came. I can remember I was going up a hill away from the camp, and that truck was just screaming. But I wasn't going very fast. And uh, I had pulled it all the way down into low, and I had it right to the floor. Um, I got on the radio, and I said, hey, I, I'm going to need a hand here. And uh, I got out to the main road, and you and Craig were the first ones that showed up to back me up. Yep. Came across the river, and you guys were the first ones there. That was That's when we met. Yep, no, no doubt. I remember having the conversation with Sergeant Dewitt. You know, he's like... We're going to Vermont now, and uh, you know I'm I'm sworn as a federal officer, but I don't think you've done that yet. So, you know, if you want me to drop you off here, we can. <laughs> That's it. As a trainee, you're not going to say, you know, now drop me off here at the state line, uh, Sarge. So, right. but uh, yeah, certainly uh, that, that was an incident that. Uh, and fortunately, um, the guy did grab his gun and chase me out of there. We found out the next day. Really, but when we got to the main road. I turned uh, east and went down to the main Route 5, uh-huh. where you guys met me. And he, he knew where I lived, which wasn't but a couple miles up the road. And uh, he turned right because he figured I went that way. And he couldn't find me. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of unnerving. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that happened that night, you know... People came out of the woodwork on something like that. Yeah, you know, trying to decide we're going to go back tonight and arrest him, right. and what are we going to do? And, yeah. Um, a couple. One thing that really hit me um, is my son was uh, he was two at the time, mm-hmm. and when I drove into the yard, um, he'd climb up onto the back of the couch so we could look out the window, mm. and. I uh, I really remember that. Yeah. It was... Uh, yep, it I just kind of pounded home, you need to be careful. We need to be... Absolutely. We need to be careful. Yeah, and we all take that extremely seriously, too, especially, you know, because we live in those communities, too. So um, it's definitely... Uh, and have to see those type of people after the facts. And yep. I know usually we charge them as much as we can charge them with, and... You know, we've had many cases go to trial over assaults with officers, and, uh, you know, we've always taken it really seriously. So, A um, couple of things that came out of that one. Um, at the trial, it was, I don't want to say it was funny. I, of course, I couldn't hear it. I was in the back room. But uh, when they had uh, the defense put the defendant's son on the stand, the one who told me to leave. Mm-hmm. And they asked them, um, their defense was that I was aggressive and overbearing, all these things. And they asked the son, you know, can't remember exactly what the question was, but his reply was, his answer was, I was afraid of what he was going to do. And the defense attorney said, you were afraid of what the warden was going to do? And he's like, no, 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 no. I was afraid of what my dad was going to do. Right. Yeah. So, and that's why his reply was just leave. Yep. 
So, and I, I think that's the best thing to get, you know, it, you know, especially as lieutenants now, you know, oh. round up the troops and go, you know, don't yeah. be a hero that day, come back yeah. for another fight. So, and especially when people sober up, that's probably the better way to go too. So, but um, had he taken uh, the, the other turn that night, we would add a whole different story, I'm sure. Yeah, um, and it, you know, it was uh, like five years later. Um, the sheriff in uh, Orange County, mm-hmm. who was a deputy for us at the time, mm-hmm. he convinced a legislature uh, legislator um, there was no specific crime at the time for disarming a police officer, dif- disarming a law enforcement officer. Really? Yeah, not in Vermont. You huh. had to, you, know, you had to kind of fit it into either you know obstruction or impeding or these other crimes, but they didn't um, specifically address a, an attempt at you know disarming a police officer, depriving him of his firearm. Yeah. And uh, so it was like five years later, uh, Bill was introduced. I went as somebody i testified at the senate hearing with a bunch of other people yeah and then a few weeks later i got called back to the house hearing and it was um the same people were there again and me and uh the chairman of that committee basically said we are very short on time um we'd only like to hear from warden gregory wow so I got to give my testimony again in um, July 1st of 2000, I think, 99 or 2000. Um, that was signed into law, and it was, you know, partly because of that incident. Nice, nice. That's a that's a win. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great thing that came out of a bad situation. So yeah. it's good to hang your head on that. So, well, that, that's pretty awesome. So, yeah. Uh, Certainly, you know, it's a great job, but it's a dangerous job, too. I'm looking forward to retiring. I'm looking forward. You know, we, I'm moving west. I got a lot of hunting <laughs> to make up for, a lot of fishing, a lot of trapping, a lot of stuff that I want to do. Um, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. So appreciate your service to, to your state and... Uh, you know, pretty much the the whole nation. You know, we, we're all wildlife protectors. So, um, no, it's pretty pretty awesome. And thanks for your time. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other game wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.